Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us on localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm your host, Jenna Konar, and you're listening to Management Decisions, where we speak with expert guests on a variety of business management, human resources, and recruiting topics. On today's show, we're discussing the topic of combating employee disengagement. So to learn more about employee disengagement and how this can be minimized in the workplace, we're speaking with Susan Lamott. Susan is the principal consultant and founder of Exaquio, which is a workforce consultancy specializing in developing and implementing cultures, employer brands, and talent strategies. Susan is also the author of the article, Employee Disengagement is a Challenge, which is the topic of our discussion today. Thanks so much for joining me today, Susan. Thanks for having me. So employee engagement is what we're talking about today, and that's a term that I think a lot of people hear that often, but it's not always something that's clearly defined. So how would you describe employee engagement? When I talk about employee engagement, I talk about two things. It's a connection to the work that you're doing, and it's the ability to find meaning in your work. So I'll describe each of these. When I talk about connection, it's feeling like the work that you're doing is interesting and you have a personal or a professional connection to it. It's a topic that interests you. It's something you've either studied or worked in for a good amount of time. And you feel like you're prepared, you're trained, and you have the ability to do that work. So, for example, when we give someone lots of administrative work or work that's completely out of their wheelhouse or something where we say, we know you don't like this, but we need you to do it, of course, they're not going to be as engaged because they won't be connected to the work. The second word I use to describe employee engagement is meaningful work. So you have to be able to be engaged. You have to be able to find meaning in your work, which is essentially being able to say that you have to see that your work can make an impact. So again, if we talk about administrative work, for example, it doesn't necessarily mean that the work has to be rocket science, right? It can be administrative. You just have to be able to see that your work has an impact on an end result. And those are the two things that employees at all levels look for in a job. They need to be connected and they need to find meaning in the work that they do. That's what leads to engagement. So if you talk to a friend or family member who's not engaged at work, it's usually for one of those two reasons. And so then I would imagine on the flip side, employee disengagement would be not having the connection, not finding that meaning in your work. Is there anything else that you would use to define employee disengagement? And the only thing I would add to employee disengagement, that's absolutely right, is that it also means that employees pull away. When you're engaged, you tend to give 100% of yourself and be really focused on work. When you're disengaged, you tend to do the minimum. It doesn't mean you're doing a terrible job. It just could mean that you're doing the minimum and you're not really giving it your full effort, attention, or interest. And especially with the workplace changing so dramatically over these last few decades with new technologies, there's non-traditional work schedules now working from home. In your opinion, have all of these changes affected employee engagement? And if so, how have they? There's no doubt that all of these things have affected employee engagement. The primary reason is because due to media and technology, we're now aware of two things. We're aware of what's happening in other companies. And there are some companies like Google and Zappos that do a really great job of human resources, public relations, HRPR. Hmm. So they're constantly promoting what they do. 
um, to drive employee engagement. So that perks up the ears of employees and say, hey, wait a second, why aren't we doing this at my company? So that's number one. Number two is employees also have access to more information about their own workplace. They can go onto sites like Glassdoor.com and see the reviews. Mm -hmm. They can um, go to a career site and see what other positions are open across the company, and they can apply to those positions. And when they, if they don't get them or they're not considered, they have the ability to figure out, okay, who's the manager in that role, or how can I reach out to those individuals? So there's more control and more interest in um, all of these, you know, all of these things. The other thing I would say is with new technologies and non-traditional work schedules, employees also expect more strategies to be catered to them. They expect that they'll have more flexibility, more options, more choice. It doesn't mean everybody wants to work from home. It just means that people want more of a buffet of options Mm -hmm. to make the workplace more unique to their individual needs. And that certainly as we work, we're certainly starting to see that more and more, especially with millennials. Right. And so even though the employees have more control and more interest in these things, you did note in your article that there was a late 2013 Gallup poll that found that only 13% of employees are engaged at work. So what do you think could be some of the reasons for this? There's three key reasons that I think only 13% of employees are, are really heavily engaged in work. The first is most companies lack a realistic employer brand. Mm-hmm. Um, which means they're not being honest upfront about what it's really like to work in their company. Okay. There's an article I just recently wrote on this for Forbes where I talk about um, making sure that you don't think job seekers are stupid. And what I mean by that is if you read career sites, if you look at a lot of the um, channels and content that companies are promoting about work opportunities, it's this glowing, glib, amazing place to work. And we know that that's not true. We know that Every workplace has its strengths and its opportunities. And if you can be more honest with people about, I always famously say, tell me what it, tell me what sucks about working for your company. It's a candid way to say it, but if you can tell the honest truth and I still want to work there, then I won't um, have lowered expectations once I get there. If you talk up the work experience and make it so perfect, what happens is once I start working there and all of those sort of beautiful things you promised me, these glowing perfection, and these attributes that you've promised aren't there, then I start to become disengaged because you've set me up for failure. That's number one. Number two is lack of attention. With lack of attention, both human resources leaders and the C-suite, they're often making decisions about the workplace without really involving employees. So they're making assumptions about here's what our employees want or here's what our culture is. And they're not really going to the root cause or to the root of the problem, which is the employees themselves. One of the things that we do at my company, Exactlio, is we specialize specifically in workforce research so that we can go back to our clients that are in the C-suite and say, you've got this assumption about your culture, but here's actually how employees feel. Hmm. And they're honest with us because we're an unbiased third party. Sure, town halls and you know some of those other employee surveys can be really helpful, but employees are never as honest as they will be with an unbiased off-site third party in a focus group, for example, where we can really pull out the details and understanding. And without that data, you're making these decisions and these assumptions right. on your workplace. And then the third thing is just a lack of understanding of needs that follows on the assumption piece. 
but really understanding what employees' needs are and not making um, broad-based assumptions based on generation or age. You might look at your workforce demographics and say, well, the average age of our employees is, you know, 35. So that means they probably all have kids at home. So we should really make sure that we've got a daycare center or up our daycare benefits. And that may not be the case at all. Um, so you've really got to go to the workforce and understand their needs and make them feel a part of the changes or evolution uh, that you want to take place in your workforce. Right. And so it sounds like as far as from the employer end of things, the not being honest, lack of attention, and maybe lack of understanding the needs of their employees can play a factor. But on the employee side of this equation, are there some ways that employees are part of this problem of disengagement? Very much so. You know, employees oftentimes don't take responsibility. They sit back and say, you know, I'm going to complain about my boss. Or I'm going to complain about my workforce. We sometimes at Execrio um, will work with clients to do upward feedback surveys. We just completed a process for one of our clients. And sometimes we see low rates of completion. And they're oftentimes from clients where the workforce is the most frustrated. So what we try to convey to employees in these situations, can't. this is your opportunity. If you want things to change, you can't be jaded. You have to be participatory, even if you have before and you haven't seen the changes. So employees have to take an active role in making change happen. And they also have to come to the table with solutions. A lot of times employees will go to their managers or they'll go to um, you know, a leader in a company and complain about something, but they won't have a realistic solution of how to fix it. You know, for example, healthcare costs are really expensive mm -hmm. and a company who may be struggling in this, you know, in the economy may not be able to change a whole healthcare policy um, and, and they may not be able to do it for a, for a year or two or more. So what other suggestions as an employee could you have to rectify or deal with some of the issues that you're experiencing and have a range of suggestions that, you know, cost nothing to um, more investment by the company. They can see that you're taking it seriously they can see that you have solutions, but they also see that you understand the business, that you understand that there's a bottom line and that you want to help in a constructive way. So you've given us a lot of helpful tips for employees as far as making sure that they're engaged at work and maybe ways that they can approach their management. So getting back to the manager side of thing from the employer perspective, in your article, you explain that it's important for the employer to be evaluating the whole self as far as their employees. Mm -hmm. How would you say that managers can learn to evaluate the whole self? One of the things companies do when they're looking at workforce data is they only look at employees at work. So we pay attention to some of the great data we have, things like the demographics that come out of our human resource information systems or HRISs. We look at employee engagement surveys or satisfaction surveys, and we've got performance management data. How are our employees performing? But we usually stop there. Mm -hmm. um, the challenge with that is that employees bring their, what we at exactly call their whole self to work. So we've created a proprietary model called the whole self model. And what we encourage our clients to do is, in addition to that workforce data that's really important, when you're collecting data on your workforce, it's also really important to look at three other categories. The first is relationships, mm -hmm. which is essentially what are the relationships that your employees have in and outside of work that influence their decision making? The second is internal values. So what does the employee value personally in life? What governs their decision making? Do they care more about transparency or do they care more about stability and ethics? 
And then the other, the, the third quadrant um, is external value. Where does the employee get energy from outside of work? Where do they spend their time? Because those habits can help you understand how they like to behave. So if an employee is engaging mostly in individual activities outside of work, um, you know, maybe running, cycling, cooking, knitting, then you know that they like more of an individual contributor role. And it may be harder for them to collaborate or do a lot of team-based activities inside of work. Hmm. Now, the one caveat I'll make um, that we often hear from clients is, hey, wait a second, you know, you're getting involved in employees' personal lives, and this is, you know, private information. All of it is whether the employee wants to share. And, you know, the employee doesn't have to share anything they don't want to. And 99.9% of the time, when we do focus groups with employees, they are more than happy to share this information Hmm. because they want their employers to know. They want employers to really understand, hey, look, you might be, you know, a 60-year-old CEO with a stay-at-home spouse or children who are in college. So you don't understand what it's like to have a kid in daycare, have, you know, two working parents and know that if I don't get to daycare by six o'clock, I'm paying a dollar a minute for every minute that I'm late. So it's not about, um, you know, a competition. It's about really helping your C-suite leaders see the kind of lives your employees are leading so they can have that real understanding of how work fits into their life. And then they can make better decisions because employees will be more engaged when you respect the other aspects and you understand the other aspects of their life. And would you have a way that you would recommend, um, say that there's a, a manager or an HR professional listening who would like to implement this in their company, how could they go about learning about their employees' relationships, internal values, external values? What would that look like practically? What exactly are we use a model that's akin to a consumer research model? Okay. So just like Procter & Gamble, when they want information on how Swiffer is performing in the marketplace, they're going to bring mm-hmm. together their um, you know, key demographic and hold focus groups and get that independent, unbiased feedback. Okay. So partnering, if you can, um, there's always a cost associated with it. With it, mm-hmm. Partnering with an external partner, whether it's us or someone else, to help you gather that data is really important. And making sure that that partner is well-versed in academic research techniques. So they understand how to conduct focus groups, how to collect consumer research, making sure that they're coding and feeding the data appropriately. A lot of larger companies have IO or industrial and organizational psychologists on staff that can also help them collect this data. But it's not something that you want to do glibly. It's not something that you'd want to bring a bunch of employees together and start asking them questions. Mm. It is a a rigorous process. It does have to be based in research and make sure that you've got a real process together. And certainly if folks want more information, they can reach reach out to me individually and I'm happy to walk them through the process. Okay, great. People listening can take these techniques. They can apply them to their own situation or their own company. I was interested to hear if you had maybe a story or two about your clients who you've helped who were able to improve their employee engagement. Did you have any stories of how maybe these people have done this? Sure. Um, I'll give you two examples. The first is a billion-dollar healthcare company we worked with, and they were trying to shift as part of a multi-year strategy to a more collaborative environment. This particular company had a lot of frontline workers, call center workers, a lot of individual contributors. And in the research that we conducted for them, they actually found that the majority of these individual contributors and employees outside of work were spending their time in individual hobbies, like I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so they it gave them a great deal of insight to understand why some of the collaboration and teamwork techniques that they were trying to introduce weren't successful. And part of it was because employees just didn't like behaving that way. If we look at sort of the psychology of behavior, I talk a lot about tendency, right? If you mm-hmm. sign your name with your right hand, it's super easy because you're used to it. You have a tendency to do it because you're right-handed. If I make you all of a sudden um, force you to sign your name with your left hand and you're not left-handed, mm-hmm. it's going to be really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So essentially what this company was doing is they were asking their employees to behave at work in a way that was inherently uncomfortable for them. And they didn't know that because they weren't thinking about the kind of work that employee did on a regular basis. So at a macro level, what it does is it allows companies to say, hey, when we're launching huge initiatives or strategies or changing our workforce, we need to think about the existing jobs and responsibilities that our workers have. And then it also helps from a recruiting perspective because then you can start to recruit people who have a preference or a tendency for collaboration and teamwork. And you can look for evidence of that in an interview and ask for examples of when they've had the opportunity to do that in other companies. And that's an an immediate um, impact that you can make. A second story I'll share is with a marketing agency that we worked with. They were a high-growth agency on the Inc. 500 high-growth companies list, but they were struggling because they were experiencing a really toxic culture. Mm. And part of the reason that that was the case is that none of the leaders in this organization, um, this small growing organization, had gotten their feedback before. And there wasn't a foundation of culture. So people were behaving in the way they wanted to behave. No one was telling them, this is how we work together. This is how we get work done. This is the acceptable kind of behavior. And so they were all coming in from other jobs or experiences with their own beliefs and abilities of how to get things done, rather than being united around a common set of core values and culture. So through the research, we were able to come in and then help them define what those core values should be, what the culture should look like, and then what we call work rules, which is essentially, now let's be really clear with our employees how work gets done here Mm -hmm. and what that looks like. And the founder told us it made an immediate impact to their particular organization, to their foundation. They've transitioned out some of those employees who didn't fit the new culture values. And they've been able to really focus now on aligning around this culture and they've eliminated this toxicity in their environment completely. That's interesting. I appreciate you sharing those stories. Hopefully they'll be good examples for uh, people who are listening. We're actually running a little bit short on time, but I wanted to give you the floor for the last 30 seconds or a minute or so just to share any final thoughts or advice that you would have for our listeners on this topic of fighting employee disengagement. I think the most important thing you can do as a leader is to collect data and to listen and to really pay attention to your employees and give them an opportunity to share that feedback in multiple venues. Look for patterns in the feedback. So what are you hearing over and over again? And look for feedback not from the most effective employees or the least effective or least disengaged employees, but pay attention to those in the middle. Those that are just sort of plodding along They're semi-engaged in their work. They do have the opportunity to be A performers, but they also tend to be the least vocal because, you know, they're doing just fine and they can sometimes have the most rich feedback. But if you really pay attention and you do it on a regular basis, it gives your employees the opportunity to share how they feel and then also gives you as a leader a chance to respond and say, we've heard you. Here are the changes we're making. But also, here's what we can't do. Here's what we can't change. And here's why. 
And employees will appreciate that more than you know. They're not expecting you to do every single thing or spend millions of dollars. They just want to know they've been heard and they want to understand if you can't do something, how it fits with um, the business strategy. And if you're honest and transparent with them, they'll be much more grateful and you will absolutely see a rise in employee engagement. And that will do it for us today. You've been listening to Management Decisions with today's guest, Susan Lamott. Again, Susan is the principal consultant and founder of Exacquio. Thanks again for being on the show today, Susan. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And as always, we love to hear from you, the listeners, as well. If you have a suggestion of another subject to cover on the show, please email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter under at the LJN. Once again, I'm your host, Jenna Konar, and thanks for joining us.